Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Anyone who tells you work was better 50 years ago didn't work 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know. yeah. They've never dug a trench. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous, dangerous podcast. podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Welcome to the Morning After Hangover Edition, uh, live here at Unleash America. I tell you what, I'm feeling good, though. From beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, and we are here. I'm Chad Sowash, (laughs) joined by Joel Cheeseman, by the way. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stephen Hunt, author of Talent Tectonics, Navigating Global Workforce Shifts, Building Resilient Organizations, and Reimagining the Employee Experience. That's a mouthful. Dr. Hunt, what else should we know about you? Yeah, well, another mouthful is my job title. I am the Chief Expert for Work and Technology for SAP. And chief Expert? Yeah, yeah. So, I, so you're I, the CEO, like, right? I used you're to be chief. a junior expert. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Before that, apprentice expert. <laughs> now, what I do is uh, it's pretty kind of unique. I'm, a, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist. So, you know, the psychology of work, uh-huh. all that sort of stuff. And my career is focused on how do you use technology to create more effective work environments, like enable better decisions, more inclusive environments, agile environments, high performing environments, as well as a lot of this is how is technology changing the environments we need to create. Yeah. And so that book, Talent Tectonics, is really based on my experience working with at this point, thousands of companies looking at how do we use technology to create better environments, taking into account the one thing that isn't changing about work, which is the fundamental psychology of people. It's all about signals at this point, right? All of what you just said is about signals, whether it's behavioral signals, salespeople being able to reach their goals. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just, it's all signal oriented. Is it not? I think that's part of it. I think entirely a lot of it is. I know, I I know I'm simplifying it and you like, and and the chief experts like to make things complicated. 
doctor man. Jesus doctor. Christ. He's a doctor. Exactly. Not a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's a family medicine doctor. I'm always like, I don't really. I'm the kind of psychologist that doesn't actually care about people. Oh, I just okay. care about what they reproduce. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Ah, sounds familiar. No, it's it's more than that. It's job design. What's happening is the two big shifts, and you guys would know this, is one, the demographics are fundamentally changing our labor markets. There's more people aging out of a lot of labor markets and entering into them. Yeah. And it's not that we don't have enough people. It's that we're not fully utilizing all the people we have in society. The, the labor participation rates are going down, yeah. particularly in historically, whatever you call historically disenfranchised communities, wherever you want. You know, how do we go out and how do we more effectively engage the entire workforce? Because just recruiting harder isn't going to work. Companies really aren't engaging communities in the first place. We used to have training programs yeah. where they would work with they would work with schools, they were vocational schools, they would work with community colleges, yeah. they would but they totally pulled back from that because of the incentives weren't there anymore. But long term, the incentive was always there that they would be building their own talent pipelines. And now that has dried up and we're in the situation we are right now. Right. And I always get frustrated if you hear people say, oh, declining birth rates are bad for economies. That's not true. They're bad for economies that depend on exploiting large amounts of underemployed people. <laughs> you know, so and the problem yes. we have a lot of people is sort of a quote. I don't know who said it, but the potential is equally distributed across society. Opportunity is not. Yeah, that's definitely true. So a lot of this is about the books about how do we reimagine work so that we can bring more people into it through changing. Like I'll give you a good example on technology, shift scheduling technology. The reason a lot of people don't work, particularly people that have like primary family care responsibility, which in our society is mainly women, is because of shift schedules. If you got if you're the one that has to pick up your kids. Oh, yeah. You know, shift schedules and, and also hybrid work. This is another interesting thing that hybrid work, since we've moved to that, employment of people with disabilities in the United States is the highest it has ever been yeah. since we moved to hybrid Because they work. can do work from home. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they can still get it done. Yeah. So the book talks about, this is an example of job design, yeah. but also how do you staff, how do you hire? But the book also focuses a lot on the other thing is digitalization has changed the nature of work. We mm -hmm. need to hire people to be creative, collaborative, caring, as opposed to just productive. You can't be those things if you feel exhausted, burned out, hungover. <laughs> just coming to your earlier comment. As he, as he looks directly at you, Joel Cheeseman. Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Who do you hope reads this book? Is it the CEO? Is it the head of talent? Who do you hope picks this book up? Anyone who is focused on creating more effective workforces and work environments. Now, for some companies, that is the CEO. To be honest, a lot of CEOs, that's not where their passion and focus is. They're like, people they are important. It is. That's why I hired a CHRO. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, I'm not, you know, you can love technology. That doesn't mean you want to be a CIO, but it's definitely HR, HR, HR technology, consultants, anyone who, mm -hmm. hey, my job is about helping companies create more effective job design, better staffing, more better employee development, more engaged workforces. And it goes into, and the book is, um, it starts with talking about how digitalization and demographics are changing labor markets and work. Yeah. But then it goes in and says, well, what do we do about it? And that it's built around, I kind of talk about it when it comes to HR and you guys have been in this field a long time. The basic challenges of this field never change. No. It's how do you design jobs? How do you fill them? How do you develop people? And how do yeah. you keep them around so they don't quit? But we're still getting it wrong. And we're <laughs> and that the book talks about how do we need to rethink work using technology but also going back to focusing on the one thing that isn't changing about work, which is what motivates people, what makes people happy, how we learn. It's the same now as it's always been. 
what changes is labor markets and people's expectation they can get it. But it's like your grandparents didn't want to work in a soul-sucking, repetitive job yeah. that forced them to an early grave. They wanted to work in a cool job where they were appreciated and recognized, but it was a different world 100 years ago, right? I'm going to push back a little bit or just get your insight on this. So what if all the amount of change at the corporate level doesn't work? What if people are just into the freedom of the gig economy you know, flipping the switch whenever I want to drive a car, flipping this, you know, punching my ticket whenever I want to deliver food. What if all the changes you talk about making to get people back into, into the workforce, keep them at a job, doesn't work because that is such a huge trend of freedom, independence, and, and living the way that I want to live? Well, I think part of it is going back to really look at a couple fundamental myths. One of them is that people don't want to work. There's a concept in psychology called need for achievement, which is that we are wired to want to accomplish meaningful things in our life. It's why babies crawl when they can. Parents don't go, oh, it's time for you to crawl, right? The kids, that's one of the joys of being a parent. You have kids. They just figure stuff out. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. And it's why? Because we're hardwired for it. And there's a reason why the word meaningless is a synonym for depression. People want a reason to get up in the morning. They want to go out and do something that makes them, there's people that, that where they feel valued. They feel like a contribution. Now, if they didn't have to work for money, would they work differently? Absolutely. But would they not work at all? No, no. It's not, not if you're psychologically healthy. If you're like yeah. clinically depressed, that's a different people issue. People want to do stuff. People want to do stuff. You want to be valued. You want to yeah. make an impact. Is the achievement of delivering for DoorDash different than the achievement of, you know, writing a new program for a corporation? It's the, it's the reason for why you're working. People re work yeah. for different reasons. I, you guys probably ride in Ubers all the time or Lyfts or whatever. It's fascinating to talk to those drivers about why they yeah. decided to do it. A lot of them are like, because what I wanted from work basically was a, a paycheck to pay my rent. And this is nah. the easiest way to get it. And yeah. I'm great with that. Or I have a young child and or, this gives me the flexibility to yeah. spend time with them. We, we, yeah. talk, we talked to an uh, Uber driver in Scottsdale and she literally, she was uh, head of huge customer service and they've got call centers and whatnot around there. And she got out of that. First off, they were doing layoffs because of COVID and they were trying to pull people back mm -hmm. in. And she just got out of it and she started driving Uber because she was stressed. She was burning out. She never got time to spend with her family. Yeah. None of those things, right? So it's kind of like, what do you want as and a I human? And made more money, right? At the end of the day, yeah, I don't, no? I, don't, I think she but made as much as she yeah. needed yeah. to be happy, and that's all yeah. that matters. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think what we're seeing is we are seeing a shift in how people want to work in companies partially is that we used to hire people just to be productive, which is show up, shut up, and do what you're told, right? Yep. Yeah. And now, the, because of digitalization, all the stuff that was show up, shut up, do you're told is being automated. It's being automated away. And I'm a big fan of automation. It's like most of the stuff that's automated is repetitive in human tasks that people shouldn't have to do anyhow. They suck. They're, they're tasks that suck. Anyone who tells you work was better 50 years ago didn't work 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. They've never dug a trench. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So what's happening, though, is now... You know, we are hiring people to do the uniquely human things like being creative, collaborative, caring. Like I use caring as a really good example. Technology can never care for a person because caring is by definition, it's about a person giving time of their life to you. That's what to care means. Yeah. Technology could do the exact same thing, but it's part of the caring is no, somebody's actually literally thinking of me. And that that's at a deeper, profound level. So as we're changing the nature of work to do more truly human activities, right. we need to tap into the things that make people really good at this. And the other big myth about people is that people fear change. 
We don't. We fear poorly managed change, punishing change. <laughs> and that's our experience. We're wired to think change is always going to be bad. It's well, that, just and that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point because change usually sucks because the transformation part sucks. Yeah. But I use examples like, you know, when I'm talking to people about this, like, have you ever gone river rafting? Yeah. Okay. Did you have to do it? Were you like Lewis and Clark and it was the only way to get across? <laughs> no. Like, did you pay money to do it? Yes, as a matter of fact. Yeah, did you enjoy it? Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Did you know you can drown and die? Uh, yes. So the okay. rapid, yeah, the, yeah. So you paid yes. money to Level voluntarily fun. introduce change in your and life that could have died. you. Yes. Yeah, we don't fear change. He did yeah. the same when we started this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <but. laughs> yeah, right. We actively seek it out. We seek it out, but there's certain things that make it fun. First of all, we know why we're doing it. It's like it's meaningful to us. You're not just being thrown on a boat in a river and saying you're off. Right. The second thing is that we're confident we have the task to be successful. It wouldn't be very fun if you had a boat that didn't float, right? And the third one is we do it as a group. When we're under stress, particularly, it's really important we feel there's other people around us and care about us. You know, yep. river rafting by yourself probably wouldn't be as fun. It's called kayaking. Kayak, yeah. It's a different <laughs> experience. But, I mean, I use this example because... We have to rethink work that taps into that fundamental joy of learning and change that you see, like going back to when you have your kids, one of the joys of being a parent is watching how delighted kids are in change. This is new. Oh my gosh. Wow. But then we manage people to be productive and productivity is about doing the same. We're most productive when we do the same thing over. So it's this book. That's what it really dives into is I want to be clear too. It's not about putting employee needs above the company because good employee experiences don't come from working for failing companies. And I think we've even seen that in our own industry where companies kind of overemphasize one way and all of a sudden, oh, we're not making any money. It's about realizing companies can't get what they need if employees don't get what they want, but employees can't get what they want if companies don't get what they need. How do we balance Talk about belonging. That's something that we haven't talked about yet. And it was something that many companies have really leaned heavily on from a culture standpoint as that you need to feel like you belong. And this was something that was starting to catch on before COVID Mm -hmm. and then really started to be useful within COVID because they didn't want to lose people Mm -hmm. who were working remote, right? But it almost feels like a lot of this doesn't matter anymore as as many CEOs are forcing back into the office. It feels like a micromanaged forcing that's happened, which is change. And that is change that a lot of people, as Joel said earlier, they want the autonomy and they just don't like it. Yeah, they don't want it. Yeah. And they don't have to have it. And I think with the companies that are going that route, it's like, yeah, in the future, you're going to be employing the people no one else wants to hire. Not a good long-term staffing strategy. <laughs> you know, it is. It's true. You're seeing this change. I yeah. think... It is very frustrating from an exclusivity. You know, the most inclusive thing that has happened in our lifetime to work is this move to hybrid. And I realize there's a lot of jobs you can't work hybrid. But even in those jobs, it's also creating a lot more empathy for people whose jobs require them to work fixed schedules. You've seen a lot of technology focused on what they call deskless or hourly workers. Part of that is staffing shortage. And part of that is more of a realization of, I never thought about the fact that I didn't have to work from the office and there's other people that do. I think we're, we're more empathetic to that, which is yeah. positive. I think as far as this backlash we're seeing right now, I think it's just a temporary response that you're seeing. Look, the only reason we didn't embrace hybrid work sooner was the mindset of leaders that I always point out that an office building is a form of technology. It's a form of communication technology developed in 1709. Supposedly, the, it was the British Admiralty Building. Supposedly, it's like the first office building. 
And it's good and bad, like any form of technology, like email or whatever. There's some pluses and dark sides to it and all that. But it got so widely used, we forgot it was a form of technology. And executives thought it was there. It wasn't effective. They just liked it because it was familiar and it was comfortable because it's how they grew up. And they're, well, I think it's management style, though. It's personally. management style. They don't know how to it's control. It's the way that you can control is only if you can put your hands on somebody. Yeah. You can put your eyes on somebody. Well, and it's it's even worse than if I'm getting really cynical here. And I will because you guys, I know you guys like that. <laughs> That's how we roll. I'm bringing it out. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, Text kernel uh-huh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text Kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? There's a better way. Acquire ROI is a programmatic job advertising platform built to optimize your budget and supercharge hiring. Acquire ROI automatically manages and measures recruitment ads across job boards so you can allocate your budget based on insights, not hunches. Get to quality candidates faster and cost-effectively scale hiring across roles, all while gaining complete visibility and control over your recruitment marketing investments. Say goodbye to manual guesswork, inconsistent performance, and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today. Come on, Doc Steve. to get you to laugh because you're kind of looking hungover. <laughs> How did I get this reputation? Yeah, you're a grumpy bastard, that's why. Because you opened up saying this was the hangover edition. I listen. I'm a wonderful I, I, guy. I'm a psychologist. I'm always listening. Um, <laughs> no, if you look at it, I think for a lot of these executives, nothing is more depressing than walking into an office with no people in it. And a lot of these executives, it's so funny. I see these people get up and there's two things that's almost always true about that we're getting back in the office. And 
I want to be clear here. There's reasons to come back in an office and everything like that, but I tend to, I, I don't like mandates in general. Yeah. You know, it makes much sense to saying, saying you have to be in the office three days a week. It'd be like saying you can't be in the office more than two days a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. people want flexibility, give it to them. But if you look at the people that say this, getting really cynical for a second, they're inevitably somebody who does not have primary family care responsibility. It's not the person that picks up the kids if they get calls from school. Yes. It's probably somebody, if they commute at all, lives very close to the office. And very often it's people that probably are never even in the office. But I think what it is, is they come off their business trip, they walk into the hall and it's depressing when there's nobody in this cubicle farm. They want to see all the people and they walk <laughs> through. And I think it's a, it's very much an ego thing, to be well, honest. In the, in the cubicle farm is depressing for the people who have to fucking work there. Who never get to leave, who don't get the windows. Because <laughs> yes. the windows yes. go to the person that's never in the office. So it has nothing to do with the masses. It has to do with that one individual. So there's a, there's a story where DJ Saul, David Solomon uh, from Goldman Sachs, was at a country club. Some of his employees oh, came up during the week and said, hey, love you, love working for Goldman Sachs. And he automatically thought, what the hell are you doing here? Why aren't you working? Again, he was at the country club, okay? This is, it's, it's like this inability for CEOs or somebody at that level to understand that, hey, look, first off, are they getting the job done? Are they, are they hitting their KPIs? And by the way, you're at the goddamn country club too. Yeah, I agree. And this is empathy. I think we're getting a lot more empathetic in general, but there's an interesting one where technology plays a role in that. One of uh, customers I was working with pointed out said, executives can't truly understand employee experience without using technology. And I was like, I sell technology for a living. So I'm kind of like, that sounds like something I'd say, but you know, this is you know, a person <laughs> who didn't have to say that. I'm like, well, can you talk more about that? And she said, First of all, if you're a large company, you can't possibly interact with everyone. Plus, people's experiences change radically over time. So you'd have no way to sort of keep the finger on the pulse. But second, she's like, you live in a bubble. You're treated differently, you know, and that's not bad. That's, you know, they have admin assistance for a reason, but there's a lot of stuff that regular people have to do they don't have to deal with. And then the third one I thought was the most fascinating. She also said, and you should get out amongst the people and listen and have that. That's good. You should do that. But even then, if somebody's emotionally intelligent isn't going to be totally authentic with a CEO. Oh, if you know, I talked to no. a friend once who said they met somebody very high up in the organization and they had a really significant problem. I said, did you talk to him about it? Because they could do something about it. He goes, no, I'm only meeting this person one time. I don't want to be the guy who whines, you know? And yeah. so yeah. I think part of this is leaders having to really understand their inability to really experience the same thing their employees are experiencing and know that gap exists and then find ways to close it. Well, in larger That's organizations, having the hierarchy and the actual managers trained to be leaders, yeah. not just managers, not just pencil, pencil pushers mm -hmm. or micromanagers, but actual leaders, we don't do that in corporate America. The we military don't. does it, yeah. but we don't do it. As you get promoted in the military, you have to go through leadership training. There's no leadership training yeah. in corporate America. You just, your great individual you know, performance gets you to be a manager for I, some reason. I, I always joke when companies, I'm like, how many of your managers Managers were promoted to management positions because they were good at coaching. It's yeah. like none. Yeah. And then I'm like, and how much training do they get compared to like your sales teams? Like almost none, you know, so you could master management. And then the last one that I asked, that, and this has gotten better over time. I will say all of these were trending in a positive direction, unless I sound super depressing, but we've got so <laughs> much farther to go. I always ask, you know, you want to develop people. How do you reward managers that develop and promote people off their teams, which is what a good manager does. And so often it's well, we punish them by not backfilling the position. 
<laughs> I'm like, and you wonder why you don't have a coaching culture. It's not the manager's fault. It's well, that you haven't the, created an environment to make it then happen. Then that's a behavior that the manager understands. So therefore, they never allow anybody off their team and everybody feels stuck. Yeah. But the managers, what are they hired to do? They're rewarded to execute against yeah. a plan. Yeah. And so if they're not rewarded to share talent, why should they do it? You're not asking them to. And don't, so don't blame. I hate it when I, talent poaching is a weasel word to. It's like when people say employees don't quit companies, they quit managers. I mean, no, they quit companies that employ bad managers. You know, don't don't blame the manager. <laughs> You're using the word hybrid instead of remote. Is that on purpose? And how do you see the future of the office? Well, I think it is hybrid in the sense that part of effective remote work is meeting in person. And we've known this before the pandemic. There was a lot of research on virtual teams. And this is why I crack up when people are talking about this change. I have worked remotely for 16 years. I worked for a global company. I had at one point a team that had people in six different countries. It's not that, that this is new. It's just new to a lot of people. And so I see the future of us going into more and more hybrid work. There's so many mm -hmm. benefits to it. What we haven't figured out is how to effectively use that communication technology called an office that we were over relying on it. There was all sorts of bad sides to, you know, oh, you're yeah. committed because you stay late kind of yeah. BS stuff like that. Yes. And actually aside, it's fascinating how it's changed the power structures because it's like, why does that person have more influence? Well, they don't know anything, but they sit next to the CEO. Yeah. They get FaceTime. Proximity you know? bias. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what we need to figure out is how do we effectively use in-person meeting because the research on this has shown it's really important to connect. Like the fact that we've met in person now forever will change our electronic communication. Hopefully in a good way, guys. I hope so. But you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Once you've met somebody, yeah. when you get an email from them, you yeah. actually interpret it differently. And I don't know what it is psychologically. I kind of joke, maybe we smell each other or something. I don't know. But there's something that happens when we meet pheromones. in person. Pheromones. <laughs> Joel's putting off some pheromones right and now. My Dracar is uh, <laughs> very pungent this morning. Yeah. High, high karate. <laughs> <laughs> English leather. <laughs> Sex Panther. Sixty percent of the time, I, it works every, every time. That's what I thought, but I couldn't say it. I feel like we can say it, thankfully. <laughs> of course, that is Dr. Stephen Hunt, everybody, yes. author of Talent Tectonics: Navigating Global Workforce Shifts, Building Resilient Organizations, and Reimagining the Employee Experience. Doctor, for those that want to connect with you or buy the book, where would you send them? The book is available on Amazon and any other online sites that you buy books from. It's published by Wiley, and uh, LinkedIn is just a great place to find me. You can also go stephentheunt.com is my little website talent tectonics about the book and i work for sap so you can also contact me through sap and if you're an sap customer i hope that you will excellent and if you're not an sap customer you can still talk to me <laughs> feeling fine and cherry wine that's another one in the can chad we, we out. out wow look at you you made it through an entire episode of the chad and chase podcast or maybe you cheated and fast forwarded to the end Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuggleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt, but save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, 
You can't quit them either. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.